When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on Apple Podcasts. This is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings-on in Ambridge. I'm Stephen Bowden, who takes charades very seriously. And I'm the proud parent at Nativity Play, Theo Bloom. And then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who have been constantly using Lily's Hermione Granger mug and not washing it up. Welcome to Dumpty Dum, a show about our favourite country village. This week's episodes of The Archers were written by Sarah MacDonald Hughes. And this week we have calls from... Globetrotting Richard, who has questions about the Lower Loxley Trust. Jen from Brooklyn, who remembers a favourite episode. Witherspoon, who thinks it's all a shame. And finally, the other Jen, Ambridge Pony Club, who is wondering how Pip and Alice do it. Plus, we have The Week in Ambridge by Suey, a roundup of the Dumpty Dum Facebook group by Rob, and the three Twitter gongs from Jen. But before Theo and I start wittering too much, let's remind ourselves of what's been happening this week with a roundup of The Week in Ambridge coming this week from Suey. Hello lovely people, it's Suey here, Queen or Tart on the Twitters and Blue Sky. It's time for a quick reminder of the week in Ambridge. It was a tale of two cities or two romances this week. Justin tried to buy back Lillian and she sent him away with a flea in his ear. Harry listened to Alice telling him about her alcoholism and was a jolly good egg about it. The actor is clearly well practised at being a jolly good egg. Hurrah! She failed to tell Chris about Harry but it's been green lit from now on. Brian and Justin played golf, or as I generally call it, hitty stick ball. If I thought the monologues were dull, that was majorly surpassed by listening to them on the course. Brian was missing Jenny Darling, who by now would have decorated everywhere to within an inch of its life. He should get Eddie to pinch some holly and put it up for him. Ian had an existential crisis over the nursery nativity bash and being one of two daddies. He really needs to chill out a bit, and I do not say that lightly. Xander is clearly a trialled prodigy, as he's been cast in the main role of a wandering, befuddled angel. I'll let you insert your own joke here. They went. Xander was fabulous. Ian got recognised, but not as a gay dad, instead from his pizza van, presumably parked up at Grey Gables by now. We didn't hear any of Xander. Lily had a breakfast birthday away from Freddy. She and Paul went to smash things up, then for drinky poos deciding to have a quiet Christmas in the stables, which then immediately seemed to become the hot spot for Christmas Day after Paul invited every lost lamb in the village and beyond. It's going to be heaving in there, and David and Ruth's charades have been stood up by almost everyone, except Pip and Stella, Oh, and they're having Joy for Boxing Day. Where is Mick in this, I ask? At least Joy is saved from a free-range chicken for one. Leonard will also be at Brookfield, and he came to the rescue with his own repair shop for Stella's dad's watch. They witted on about cheese. Last but not least, Lindy Bottom nearly had a drama llama, or alpaca if you prefer, over the running order and lack of rehearsals for the farmer's comedy do. It'll be all right, Linda, and as you're going first, you can push off when it's inevitably awful. All in all, a bit of an odd one. Until next week then, my lovelies, hope it's a good one. Thank you for that, Sue. So, Theo, 
How's your week been? Well, in the real world, it's been incredibly busy. It, it's a week at work when we had several events that come at the end of the year, two dinners, one drinks party. Really, I, I think I'm getting a bit old for this. I need to be Lily's age to enjoy it. But I've really enjoyed The Archers this week, although, like Suey, I'm not that taken on the sort of comedy set pieces of Justin and Brian and so on, but I, I quite like most of it. How about you? How's the kitchen? That's what we all need to know. The kitchen is almost done. Uh, I think the, the, the final touches, apart from the, the splashbacks, the final touches will be done on Tuesday, but I now have a hob and a deep fat fryer and the oven's both plugged in and, and wired up. And I discovered that my big oven comes with a slide under door, as in Bake Off style. So oh, I can that's... actually open it up and then slide it under and so it doesn't get in the way. Very good. And will you be catering this Christmas? No, I'm not catering this Christmas. Apart from anything else, so I, I couldn't have guaranteed that the kitchen would be fully ready. And even if the kitchen were ready, I've got other issues with the flat, which are going to start being dealt with in the new year. So luckily, I'm going up to London to stay with an old college friend and spending a few days there. So I, I don't have to do any of the cooking. I will be taking up a large quantity of alcohol so that we can have cocktails, Negronis before dinner and fortified wine after dinner. Excellent. That so, sounds we... very good. Yes. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. It'll be nice just to get away. The cat will be looked after. Somebody's coming in to keep an eye on her while I'm gone. So it will be a relaxing time for all. Now, but that's probably enough about us, so let's get on to the important bit, which is our lovely caller, Inneras, and let's therefore start with this. Hello, Tiger. Mm. And first up, we have globe-trotting Richard. What a poisonous legacy Freddie left in his will. Richard calling in here. The lower lot of the trust, is it giving Freddie full ownership at some stage? What rights do the trustees have to postpone that day if they so choose? What's in it for them? I suspect they may, there may be a plot line here as they don't hand over. And what's in it for Elizabeth if she's managing this large estate and doesn't have any ownership rights? Does she draw a salary? I'm not sure. And of course, why doesn't Lily know what she's going to get? She's over 18. It can't be a secret. And why wouldn't... Ready, want to make good the unfairness if there's obviously a big disproportion between the value of what he's going to get and he's going to get their siblings and in other families when close to siblings talk to each other about these things and correct imbalances left by sexist prior generations or age-based unfairness so all very puzzling Freddy could if he's going to own it he could sell it off sell a chunk off 2,000 acres is a lot we know how much land is worth in Ambridge now. Beyond that, why didn't, change your subject, why didn't Justin just tell Lillian, Jackie Weaver style, that he didn't have the authority? She couldn't have bid half a million quid of the stables money because it wouldn't have been in the bank account. She doesn't have it of her own, I'm pretty sure. And I'm sure their agreement with Shula wouldn't have allowed her to. There was no need to go behind behind her back, the Shula. So Justin is not only a bit greedy and selfish, he's not very shrewd. Bye. That was a fabulous call from Richard, who I think made two really important points. One about the Lower Loxley inheritance and the other about business rules and Justin and Lillian. Taking Lower Loxley first, Freddie and Lily are old enough and close enough to have had a number of conversations about his inheritance. He recently told Elizabeth he didn't want it. He didn't want to remain at Lower Loxley. Would that not have been the perfect time? to discuss his way of settling half of it on Lily or a chunk of it or joint ownership, which is entirely within his right to do once he inherits. We also have this strange business of the trust being able to delay his inheritance, which I find very strange. But just to mention Richard's second point, I was tweeting angrily about this. I mean, where I work, I have a certain, I have an ability to sign off a certain number of thousand pounds after that amount, it goes to someone else. And at a certain amount, it has to be seen by the board. And it's extraordinary to me how no business in Ambridge seems to have those basic agreements about who can do what. Can Stella buy an enormous drill without asking her employer? Can Adam 
give her the nod to say yes do it without again without any meeting of the board or whatever a very strange setup in Ambridge there's a feature of businesses in Ambridge that we know very little about any of the documentation that governs them and I suppose it's it's supposed to give the program makers a certain amount of flexibility over things but it can be quite frustrating and the lower loxy trust is a case in point i've been all over this i've been back to it and there's actually very little has ever been said about the trust and the most informative source for it was not in fact the archers but an episode of moneybox the bbc program from january 2011 shortly after the existence of the trust had been revealed. And the reason I think this is probably a useful source, even though it's not the Archers, is that the person talking about the trust, uh, a guy called Mike Warburton, said that Nigel had taken very good advice on all of this. And he then went into some, some detail, which has never, as far as I know, been in the programme. And I think this is because Mike Warburton was a guy who gave the programme the background to this. So I think that there's a lot more detail that has never been broadcast on the Archers. But the situation, as I understand it from all of this, is that Nigel had set up something called an immediate post-death interest trust. And this actually grants a life interest in Lower Loxley to Elizabeth. So the trust holds Lower Loxley for Elizabeth, and so she has the right to occupy it for the rest of her life. And she also, I believe, though this isn't absolutely definite, she gets all the income that the trust makes. That's the money that Lower Loxley makes once it's covered its costs and so forth. Now, what has not ever been mentioned, but again, this Mike Warburton said he believes this to be the case, which is because he's told them this is the case. Nigel left something called a letter of wishes with the trustees, and that would say something like that they should use their discretion to make a gift from the trust to Freddie and to Lily when the time is right. And that gift would be for Freddie the estate itself, the however many acres it was. And I thought it was about 500 acres rather than the 2,000 that Richard mentioned. But the key point is that he would get that. And then Lily would get monetary assets not defined. So they'd get this at the appropriate time. If this happens more than seven years before Elizabeth's death, then it becomes tax-free from an inheritance tax perspective, which is part of, I guess, what Nigel was planning. It's certainly what a lot of the conversation at the time in the media about this trust was all about it was about the tax implications interestingly on the program most of the focus on the trustees and the trust and so forth was about the management of lower loxley and at the time david was being run ragged trying to run brookfield and run lower loxley because elizabeth had gone into a bit of a depression and there was very little discussion about the longer term stuff so when the time is right or the appropriate time to have to transfer the gift is in the gift of the trustees so it doesn't seem that there is a specific age. I know a lot of people have talked about maybe it's at 25, and I think that's a common age for protective trusts to, to hand over, sort of between 21 and 25, or between 18 and 25. But I don't think that's specified. And I don't think that the settlement for Lily has been determined that one of the reasons she doesn't appear to know what she's going to get is because I think that that would have been a matter for the trustees to determine in line with Nigel's wishes. But given that the will was executed in 2011 and it, it was always expected it would be round about now the terms of the letter of wishes would come into effect who knows what lower locks would have had at that point in the way of assets and so forth and what could be made available to lily because the trustees their main concern will be to preserve the value of lower locks to keep the whole thing going i think the answer the general answer is that we don't know a lot of detail but the trust at the moment is holding lower Loxley for elizabeth she owns it effectively via the trust, but the intention is for the trust to give it to Freddie when they feel it's right. And at that point, yes, it'll be a gift to him. He will be free and able to do what he likes with it, including working out a way of splitting it with Lily. But of course, being a big country house, there are always problems in splitting this sort of stuff up. And the reason that these properties tend to get passed down to single individual people within families rather than being split up is because once they're split up it's very difficult to put them back together again interestingly in france a lot of french law you have to divide up your property yes so, and you can't disinherit your children in france can you you can't but historically there was a big difference between the way that the law worked the laws of inheritance worked in different parts of france and this is most obvious 
if you're into wine, because Bordeaux, you could pass down the entire property to a single offspring. And so the Bordeaux chateaus all stay complete and whole. And so Bordeaux has chateaus producing wine and they haven't been broken up. Burgundy, on the other hand, the holdings that produce different types of Burgundy constantly are being broken up and broken up. So Burgundy is incredibly complicated when it comes to wine because each region you have different producers and you've got loads of different wines with similar names because they're all from the same family, but they're actually different wine, different vineyards and so forth. But that's the, I think the general rule in France is that you have to split it up. Whereas in the UK, there are no rules at all. People have asked about whether it'd be possible to challenge the will. Now, it's a trust. And as I said, probably a, a letter of wishes. Could that be challenged? Yes. But who would challenge it and on what basis? It would have to be that the trustees were not doing their job because the trust would have been a legally formed thing or that Nigel was not of sound mind. It's a bit late to start challenging all of that. So I, I think that, that challenging the, the will would be quite difficult. I think that it would be possible to force the trustees if they were not handing the property over, if they're not executing that letter of wishes, it might be possible to challenge that. But, but who knows? I don't know how easy it would be. I would expect it would be a very high bar to actually challenge any of this. So, and I think the English jeopardy that comes from the giving of gifts more than seven years before you die, when we know that Elizabeth, who must be in her late 50s or possibly early 60s, has a heart condition that it periodically recurs, seems to me she might also want to ensure that any gift is given fairly soon, actually, to, if you want to be definite that you will outlive it by seven years and not create a tax burden. It's interesting. It sounds to me like we need Mike Warburton on the show or writing a blog post to tell us more about all of this. Yes, if he's allowed to do so. Yes, Elizabeth is, she turns 57 next April. Very good. Right. Well, yes, Richard, that was an excellent call and a good opportunity for me to start digging around to try and find out what is actually going on with the trust arrangements. And I hope that's helpful. But if people think that there are other things that they would like to ask about it, please do call in to next week's podcast. Or if you're a trust lawyer who knows all the details, we definitely want to hear from you. Yes, do call in or write in. We'll tell you how to do that in a little while. Our next call comes all the way from Brooklyn, and it goes like this. This is Jen from Brooklyn, and in fact, you asked the question if we would, what our favorite moments were episodes. I don't even remember the specifics, but I remember loving the episode when Camilla came to town. And I think it was pretty early on when I was listening to the archers. And uh, of course, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting her name. I'm about to get a migraine. Linda. <laughs> Goodness. Linda was so excited for Camilla to come. And she was like making everybody else understand decorum, I think. And she missed Camilla, or she almost did, and she was riding her bike and either changing, fixing it and got covered in grease, or she had mud on her from biking, and she got flustered, and it was just really funny. And that is a very positive, if a little bit muddled memory of an old episode. I like the episodes with cameos with famous people who play themselves. I liked it when the Pet Shop Boys were on. And yeah, I hadn't thought about that in a while. I hope for more celebrities that I've heard of coming on to the Archers. All right, everybody. Uh, take care. Thank you for that call, Jen. And yes, Camilla came, I think that was the same year that uh, Nigel died, 2011, that the, the Duchess of Cornwall turned up. And I think that, yes, it was in the aftermath of Nigel's death. And she came to stay at at Grey Gables, and I think that it was in her role as president of the National Osteoporosis Society. But yes, I can't, couldn't remember the, exactly the business about Linda and her bicycle. I tried to have a quick look for that, but couldn't get my hands on the full details. But that was a, yes, that was, I think, in the spring of 2011. Second time the member of the royal family has turned up, because, of course, very famously, back in 1984, Princess Margaret also came to Grey Gables. And that was, I think, an NSPCC uh, fashion show that led to that. So 
I guess that means that you've been listening, Jen, since 2011. I, I confess that I'm such an Archer's nerd that when Jen mentioned Camilla, I thought she meant Nigel's sister, Camilla Pargeter, who also appeared around the time of Nigel's death. And there were various other times that she's been mentioned potentially as a place for Freddie to stay when he wasn't allowed to be in Lower Loxley. But yes, Camilla, our present queen. I also remember when Judy Dench, I know she's not actual royalty, but she's a national treasure. She appeared as one of the silents. It might have been Frida Fry or someone who only spoke once, and it was Judy Dench. That was Prue Forrest that ah, uh, Judy yes. Dench appeared as. Yes, that was. I've always found that to be a deeply embarrassing incident. She, I think, she spoke at the village fate, opened the village fate, or something like that, and there was some huge scream, stream of consciousness business, which is all a bit, just a bit silly, really. But when we um, had Rylan recently, I know he's probably not as well known in the US, but he was great fun, I thought. Yes, and sometimes the sometimes the celebrities who appear as themselves do bring something to it. Sometimes it's a bit of a cliche. We had Jackie Weaver, and they had to get in the you have no authority line and all of that sort of stuff, and it felt a bit contrived. But then they had Toya Wilcock, and I thought she was good fun. Yes. And I, Jen started me thinking about favourite episodes and invidious after tens of years to try and think of a favourite episode. But one I still remember the resonance from was around the issue of Brian and Siobhan. And Siobhan had a baby, Rory. And there's a moment when Debbie Aldridge sees the baby Rory and realises he looks exactly like Kate as a baby. And I think Kate rather, or maybe Alice. And then there's something, I think a handkerchief of Brian's or something that is the fact that this is Brian's baby. And it, it was one of those moments. I mean, first of all, Debbie is fabulous. The actress is fabulous. It was really well done. But it reminded me of a scene in a film called The Kids Are All Right, which Annette Benning, I think, may have got a film award for or certainly nominated, where she discovers her partner having an affair and there's that moment of sudden, still silence of, oh, my God, my whole life is changing with this realisation. And for those of us who've ever been through one of those with someone cheating or whatever, I just felt it was fantastically well done. It really it benefited from having Tamsin Greig as Debbie. Yes, I mean, she's an absolutely fantastic actor. And it's so good when she occasionally comes back. And it's great that she loves the archers so much that she's determined to, to find time in her schedule to, to fit it in. Going back to Camilla Pargeter, she, of course, was played by Patricia Hodge. I think she only turned actually turned up in person the once. She was mentioned various times because when Nigel died, Lily and Freddie were worried that she would inherit Lower Loxley. But she didn't turn up until 2019. And that was when Freddie had been out, let out of prison but wasn't allowed to stay at Lower Loxley because of the the alcohol license they they Elizabeth couldn't maintain the alcohol license at Lower Loxley if Freddie was living there so Camilla turned up to take him away to wherever she lived and he was hanging trying to avoid her went to watch the cricket and did various things to avoid her and ended up having a long conversation with Shula which we didn't hear but then Shula turned up at Lower Loxley with Freddie and they announced that no Freddie was not going to go and live with Camilla she he was going to go and live at the stables with Shula, uh, which left Camilla, who had been utterly obnoxious to Elizabeth and indeed to Lily, fuming, but she had no alternative but to wander off and go back home. And that, I think, was said was the only time that she's actually appeared on the programme and spoken. And perhaps we feel yeah. a little more sympathetic for her now we know that she must have had the same experience of Lily, of her brother inheriting, even though they're not twins, and she's moved away to somewhere else. Uh, yes is not in her life no there wasn't much of her even being mentioned i think when I, I don't know how how long ago she might have moved out she was probably at boarding school most of the time when nigel was young and reckless and hanging out with shula and then with elizabeth before they all settled down let's move on to our next call and this one starts like this y'all know how this goes Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Greetings, Theo, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dumbers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Sackis here. 
caller entering on a Friday morning. Later today, we're headed upstate to visit our Scottish friends in Kinderhook, the birthplace of President Martin Van Buren, need I remind you. This week in Ambridge, as Lillian pointed out, has been brought to you by the word shame. There's been a lot of it to go around. Both Pip and Ian still appear ashamed of their sexual orientation. I can understand Pip's struggles being a newbie and all, although come to think of it, maybe she's ashamed of Christmas celebrations at her family's house. But Ian, it's time to get over yourself. He has been acting erratically lately. Maybe he's on drugs. Just kidding. Speaking of Christmas celebrations, both Lily and Paul appeared ashamed of their respective parents. I don't know what that was all about, except to get them all together for the holiday. Alice is ashamed of being an alcoholic in recovery. Shouldn't AA and her sponsor be helping her with this issue? Well, it is the first time she has to tell a prospective new boyfriend, and lots of memories of negative behaviors are coming back. One person who did not exhibit shame this week was Lillian, another Yugo girl to her. For an instant, I thought she was going to give in to all the shiny objects Justin was offering her. But no, kudos to her for exhibiting a lot of personal growth. Finally, a shout out to Jakob. He pulled a Frank Sinatra and told Linda that he is going to direct, quote unquote, my way. Linda, meanwhile, despite being director emeritus, continues to struggle with control issues. I do worry about her future without Robert. Talk to you soon. Well, Witherspoon, as ever, gives us the sort of emotionally intelligent version of what's been going on in Ambridge. And I have to say, I shared his view that it was time for Ian to get over himself. I also felt that as I've been in, in something of the position that Adam and Ian find themselves in, by the time your child's in their first nativity play, you've got over the whole, how many times have I got to come out over the birth, the registration, the doctors, the nurses, the registering for schools, the attending, opening events at school. I feel like they've slightly mistimed this complaint from Ian, although I do have some sympathy with it. But as Witherspoon said, it's probably time we got over that particular storyline. I too admired Lillian and not falling for just some gifts from Justin. Although on the whole, I'm actually rather sad because I think what it shows is that as when she arrived back as this incarnation, Lillian can't sustain a relationship with a decent man. And although Justin's pretty smarmy, I think we all agree with that. He does seem to be someone whose lifestyle uh, she enjoys, whose company she enjoys. And I'm not quite sure. They just probably need not to be business partners as well, would be my thinking. And they should stay quite apart from each other. And then I think they could probably be quite happy as long-term companions, given that they didn't marry. And I did wonder what would have happened if he'd been married, would he still have behaved like that with Shula? But there we go. It's a good question. I, the relationship between those two, it depend, a lot of people, of course, are saying, oh, they miss Matt Crawford. And indeed, various people have suggested Matt Crawford might be the mystery buyer of the, the Grange Farm 10 acres so that he can come back into the story. But I, I really think that that isn't the case. Kim Durham, who plays Matt, has never said that he would never come back. But I think he's wanted by several police forces in the UK. So I think that it's highly unlikely that he'll turn up as the owner of 10 acres of land in Ambridge when he's got all the rest of the country to hide from the police in. Indeed. I think Justin is probably a bit more stable than Matt. But yeah, Lillian's relationships have always been a bit chaotic at best. So I don't know whether she, she will, uh, that's a long-term split or and whether Justin will hang around in the village. The whole odd couple dynamic with him staying at Brian's place was interesting. The golf was a bit tedious, but the use of the bathroom and so, so forth, it was quite entertaining for a while, but I can imagine that Blossom Hill Cottage will get a bit crowded with both, both those egos banging around inside it. And what about Natalia if she ever came to visit? Would Justin be very much in the way? Now, you seem to be finding uh, those guys amusing, but I have to say, I just, I don't think I ever find the comedy set pieces in The Archers to be actually funny. There are some great one-liners that sometimes make you laugh out loud, but I'm with Sue, the Justin and 
Brian scenes just made me cringe. You just have to, I think, be in the right mood to deal with that sort of thing. Let's move on to somebody else, another pairing that Witherspoon mentioned. He called in on Friday morning, so he hadn't heard the, the scene between Alice and Harry when Alice finally did come out about being an alcoholic. Uh, and Harry was extremely laid back about that and very happy. So that does seem to be moving towards a serious relationship there and quite a long-term one. And again, people I know have been saying Alice still loves Chris and it can't all be over between them, but I think that it, it probably is. I think it is, and I like Harry, and I'm glad he seems to be becoming at least a medium-term character. I did wonder if she still had residual feelings for Chris, and that's why telling him is quite so loaded. But it's, it would be difficult even if she didn't. I like Harry. I want the relationship to work, but I have a confession. I really don't like Alice. And I think I'm about Alice the way many people are about Helen. Very sympathetic to what she's been through. All kudos to her for apparently staying sober and so on. I just don't like her voice. I don't like her delivery. And I don't really want to hear more from her. So I'd like her and Harry to be happy somewhere off mic, if possible. And as I said last week, I think he is the mystery buyer of the 10 acres to set up a horse, horse spa, which is the more sensible option, probably the most sensible option for using that land, certainly more sensible than an international equestrian arena of sorts. And then Witherspoon mentioned both Lily and Paul being ashamed of their parents. I think there's a lot still to come around Paul's parents, and I think that we'll probably get some sort of Christmas crisis. I, I know we're going to get a Christmas crisis. My guess, based on nothing at all, is that it's going to involve Denise and I think John is the name of her husband, Paul's father. And I think we've had lots of signals to suggest that marriage isn't on the firmest of grounds. And there's a whole business of Alistair's feelings towards Denise. So I think there's room there for a big crisis. I'm less sure about what will happen with Elizabeth and Freddie being at the stables alongside everybody else. At last count, it was, what, eight people at the stables? And that's not counting. David determined to turn up because Josh hasn't told him about it. So is he going to gate crash? Because I, whatever gets cooked at the stables, infinite quantities of parsnips, which we'll come on to a bit later on, all of that compared to whatever burnt turkey lasagna at Brookfield, because Jill seems to have hung up her apron for good. I think uh, Brookfield needs rescuing by Leonard who we know can fix anything, so I, I'm sure he can fix Christmas dinner. I really have enjoyed the fact that planning for Christmas is not neutral and lots of grown-up children don't especially want to go back to their parents' house and do the thing they've always done. I will be spending the, something like the 33rd Christmas in a row at my in-law's house and it may indeed be the last one that can be hosted in their house but I think a lot of people at this time of year are discussing how they can stay the least amount of time. And I really enjoyed the little scene between Leonard and Stella, where he, as another incomer to the Brookfield Archers, gives her the lowdown on avoiding the charades and don't be on David's team and so on, because I think that is absolutely realistic. Yeah, that was good. I, last Christmas, I was on my own and I went off to Stockholm and had Christmas in a Swedish Christmas all by myself, which was great fun, and but not something to do every year, which is why I'm looking forward to spending it with a friend this time around. Anyway, those are our first few calls. There's some more to come, and we'll hear those very soon. But just to say, as you know, we've closed down the Dumpty Dum website. It simply wasn't being kept up to date. It was too much effort to keep it up to date, and it cost money. And so we closed that down. So those of you who used to use it to access SpeakPipe, We'll have to go directly to the SpeakPipe website, speakpipe.com, to leave your message there. But the ever-expanding Facebook page is up and running at full speed, and that's really the heart of our online presence these days. So we encourage you all to join us there. Now Theo is going to tell you how you can join the fun and frolics by contributing to each week's episode. And the details about what she's about to tell you are in the show notes. Yeah, and I want to encourage everyone to call in for the Christmas weekend show, because we do love hearing from people and their views. As you've heard, they trigger an awful lot of thoughts and ideas. Your first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com forward slash dumpty dum. 
And don't forget, that's a T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or message via WhatsApp on 07810 or it's plus four four and remove the first zero if you're calling from outside the UK. Please do keep your call to a maximum of two minutes. I think on SpeakPipe you'll be automatically cut off at that point, but if you're WhatsApping, please just keep an eye on it yourself. Finally, we have an email address you can contact us on if you would rather write to us with your views. A maximum of 250 words, please. And the email address is simply dumtydum at mail.com. Please do bear in mind you need to be at least 18 to take part and contribute to the show. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Now let's get back to our calls. In fact, this is the last call for this week, and it's from Jen, Ambridge Pony Club. Greetings, everyone in Dumpty Dumland. Jen here, completely losing the plot between Christmas, a house move, and being single-handed as my husband naffed off to America because he thought running around after a bunch of thoroughbred horses uh, working. Yeah, working. I'll give him working. And on that, how come Pip and Alice, who are theoretically single mothers who have not nine-to-five jobs, but pretty much all hours of the day jobs, being a farmer and a stable manager, seven days a week, how do they quite manage that when they're out wreath-making, Santa visiting, Laura Loxleying, dates with Stella, dates with Harry? Yeah, could be done with a rage room and a baseball bat, frankly, after all of that. And then Christmas, we're having this whole thing. If your mother happens to have a massive stately pile, which really specialises in Christmas and is going to have a beautiful big dining room, wonderfully decorated, what do you do? You have the whole family round to the stables. Yeah, that doesn't make an awful lot of sense, this whole thing. And where's Mick? How come Joy's all on over her own all of a sudden? What happened to Mick of the Speedos? Where's he gone? Why isn't she having Christmas with him? Yeah, I thought that was a bit odd. And David, like, frankly, like he's ever cared about Josh. Yeah, right. And then poor Stella. Christmas at Brookfield and charades with David. The things people will do to inherit half a farm, I don't know. Thank you, Jen, for that call. Christmas in the Arches, for me, has always been about the Brookfield Christmas, but that's, I think, simply because when I was growing up and when I was first listening, the Phil and Jill and their children was the, the, the beating heart of the programme. And so we had things like Stir Up Sunday every year, uh, which I banged on about a few weeks back. And Christmas was always Jill at the Arga. And indeed, the inheritance of the Brookfield Arga is key to the way that 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 particular farm goes on. It's far more about the Arga than about the dairy herd. And so I think Lower Loxley, there are always reasons why that was never a family, an archer's family place to get together, whether it was the other members of the Partridge family kicking around like Julia when she was still around being incredibly snobbish and not really approving of Elizabeth at all. And then after Nigel's death with Elizabeth going into depression and so forth, it never really became somewhere you could do that. I th- absolutely agree. It would be absolutely brilliant that there will be a big dining hall within Lower Loxley. And it would be great if they could cook it and they could even, they've got staff who cook at the Orangery. And I suppose they could employ them there, though that might be a bit 
over the top. So yes, it, it does seem a missed opportunity and, and we do end up with Christmas all over the place at the moment and, and no really solid Christmas there. I wonder if they would be able to use the dining hall and the catering kitchens at Lower Loxley. I, th- I believe it was Cosmo on the social medias this week on the point about Tom and Natasha stealing from the tea room. He was very clear that owners have to pay their business for the benefit of it because there were tax implications that the material should have been sold and the tax on it should be paid. And I'm going to take Cosmo's word for it that that's a a tax implication. And I wonder if the same would apply were the residents of Lower Loxley to use the business premises for their personal benefit at Christmas. Who knows? It's a fair point, but they could contract just as anybody else might contract for a a wedding, they could contract with their own business for for Christmas. Certainly could. And I wanted to pick up on another point from that call, which was about Mick. Now, because I listened carefully this week, knowing I was recording Dumpty Dum, I believe I heard Joy say to Paul that Mick was seeing his brother who's on his own now, and whether there was some reason why that would not be fun for Joy or she would not be welcome. We don't know. But Mick is around, but he's going to see his lonely brother. Joy having Christmas by herself with nothing but a roast chicken. This is not the first time that's happened. She was in exactly that situation when she first arrived in in 2019. And that was her plans for Christmas back in 2019 because her Rochelle was not going to be there. You might expect that Helen and the Bridge Farm Archers, for whom she's become a babysitter and more than just a neighbour, might have invited her. But there we go. Yeah, I'm not sure that Pat is too keen on Joy. So while Helen might be able to invite her, Helen isn't hosting. I guess that Helen and Tom and all of that lot will be at Bridge Farm having turkey soup for Christmas pudding soup. Yes, with added parsnips. Uh, Parsnip soup. Yes. So those are all our calls. Thank you very much for calling in. We do love to hear from you. And do call next week, as Theo says. It'll be the Christmas one. And I know that you'll all be doing your whatever it is you do in the run-up to Christmas. But why not take a break from any stresses and just give us a call and tell us what you think about the archers. Now, did we receive any emails or WhatsApp messages this week? We did. We had an email from Christine in Kilcreggan who emailed dumptydum at mail.com. It's short and sweet and goes like this. Subject line, parsnips. Good evening, everyone. I hope you're not all too frantic. You can't have too many parsnips. In our house, one parsnip is too many. Christine from Kilcreggan. Thank you for that call, Christine. I'm actually quite a big fan of parsnips. You probably can have too many, but, but you, you can certainly have quite a lot in, in my view if you cook them properly. And actually simply roasting them in, in goose fat or duck fat or something like that. That's the way I would say to go with parsnips. Where do you stand on parsnips? I'm a parsnip fan too. And I have a small problem in my family in that I like a crispy roasted parsnip that's really borderline overcooked in most people's mind. Whereas my daughter likes them to be fat and squishy. The good thing is because parsnips taper so much, that means I get one end and she gets the other. But at Christmas, my brother-in-law will be cooking them perfectly. That does seem to work out. Whether you can get enough parsnips in a so-called air fryer, which is apparently the plan for the stables, it's going to be interesting because I think a feature of air fryers tends to be that they're not very patious. I have seen one that you can roast a chicken in, and I guess you can get quite a lot of parsnips in if you can roast a chicken, but they must have a decent-sized oven for some part of this Christmas dinner. Yes, the the stables was a a farmhouse before it got converted into the stables. And so I imagine that they've kept a kitchen of reasonable shape. If not, they'll just have to call on Alistair, who lives nearby, and share his kitchen. I feel that's how, as you say, we're going to see Alistair and Denise together at Christmas. Yes, I don't know quite what's happening for them. We haven't heard about Alistair and Jim's Christmas plans. Is there going to be Christmas at Greenacres? And are they going to invite... Jazza and Tracy round for old times' sake, and who knows? That would be lovely. Let's move on to Facebook, where we have 2,500 or so very active, friendly, and erudite members, and we need to give a very warm welcome to the newest of them, who are Gabrielle Hurley, Colin Ross, Sharon Marazzi, Jocelyn Bennett, Jean Grover, Jeanette Smith, and Hayley Warmisham. So, what has our Facebook group been talking about this week? 
The much nicer Rob is here with his review. Hello there, everyone. It's the remaining Rob here with the social media roundup. Alice and Harry were getting on like a house on fire, but that didn't stop people chipping in. Louise Dennis said, Alice should be telling Harry that she is a recovering alcoholic. As Lillian says, she's been sober for two years. I think there is a big distinction. Actually, Louise, I think that is what was said on Friday's episode. So, Kim Bowyer, however, went a different way. I'm pretty sure that Alice still has feelings for Chris. After all, Chris didn't do anything wrong. Harry has given Alice the confidence she needs to know that she is still attractive and desirable. Recently, Alice has been charming and engaging, even without a drink. When push comes to shove, I think, I hope, that she will realise that Chris is a rock and she will return to him on Christmas Eve with snow falling in the foreground and angels singing in the background. The ongoing Join Rochelle storyline continued. Alison G asked, When is the story of Rochelle coming out? I suspect she's no longer alive apart from in Joy's mind as a way of coping with grief. Or, perhaps, she's in prison. We keep being given hints. But William Nolan said, I just want to give Joy a big hug. Although, considering she's a secret agent who is so deep undercover she's forgotten she's a secret agent, it may give her the perfect opportunity to snap my neck out of sheer reflex. Personally, I think this could be being saved up for another future events like 2051 when it's the centenary. We'll see. Tom's recipes seem to have hit the real world. Leslie Greaves said, Waitrose are advertised in smoked salmon eclairs. Look. So maybe Tom wasn't so wide of the mark. And on the subject of food, there seems to be a multiplicity of parsnips. Chris Gibson said, You can never have too many parsnips, can you? I can. I too kicked the hornet's nest by saying that, for reasons unknown to me, I cannot eat parsnips. I retch when I put them in my mouth. Plenty of people offered surefire recipes for making parsnips palatable, but I just think that you should just substitute dog poop for parsnips and see how your recipes taste. This week I went to see a nativity in which my rather wonderful grandson was the innkeeper. Ian and Adam went along to watch Xander performing. Chris Gibson could imagine it. Ian. Adam, look at our son. Adam. So that's Xander. While Benjamin Kevin pondered on powdered coffee and dirty Noah's unwashed hands in the biscuit mixture. With role models like Xander's going to turn out to be a right princess. My mother always used to say you have to eat a little bit of shit. Joanne Smith finished the week off with an observation. Well, that's a rather depressing lesson from this week. You'll be marginally less unhappy if you spend the holidays with your family because they'll never stop giving you grief if you try to get out of being. And that's it for this week. Look forward to another week of fun and frolics on the Dumpty Dum Facebook pages and hope to be in touch with all of you. Be warned though, when the chat starts, you can be there for hours. Bye. Thank you, Rob, and thank you very much to everyone on the Dum Facebook group. If you'd like to join them, please do, but don't forget to answer the very easy membership questions so that we know that you are a real person. Do we have any reviews this week? None this week, I'm afraid. Oh, well, never mind. If you'd like to leave us a review, please do so. Apple Podcasts would be the best place for it, and obviously five stars would be very welcome. Now let's move on to Twitter, where you'll find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag using a capital T and A so that the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any Archers-based tweets. And as well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at Wenlock House. And I can be found at PurplePumpkin63. But we're both spending more time discussing the Archers on Blue Sky, uh, where we do have a lot of invitation codes for anyone who wants to take the plunge. Just ping us a note on Twitter. We can invite you over. On Blue Sky, I'm at purplepumpkin63.bsky.social. And I'm wenlock.bsky.social. Now let's find out who has won the Twitter medals this week. Tweet, tweet, pushcat. Or should that be XX these days? Greetings everyone in Dumdy Dumland. Jen here, very honoured to be picking out the tweets of the week. Despite the problems with the platform, the Twitterati are hanging in there and providing the group therapy that all of us hardcore archers addicts need. Some excellent tweets this week. My three top tweets. In bronze position, Ian at Kernow27. 
Tonight we hear about Adam's anxious day. I hope he didn't need to drive for more than 20 minutes from home, poor love. In silver, another Ian. Ian at Rosarian. You know you can say no if you want, and it's fine. But would you like to do all the cooking on Christmas Day? Because Gran has stopped cooking for us all, and we can't be arsed. And in gold position, it's Little Kim at Little Kim. Bet Stella's watch hasn't stopped at all. It's just that being with Pip makes time goes backwards. So say all of us, Rati, and may your all your Christmases be merry and bright, and I look forward to speaking to you in the new year. Thank you for that, Jen, and congratulations to all who are mentioned in this week's roundup. And don't forget, we're on Instagram at Dumpty Dum, where Theo looks after things. Next week, Stephen will be recording at the normal time, first thing Saturday morning, with Jacqueline, who'll be on the west coast of the US where it'll be midnight on Friday. So please do get your calls in by midnight on Friday UK time. Next episode will be coming out on Christmas Eve. So as well as your normal calls about the events of the week, we would welcome your suggestions of what you might want to give to particular inhabitants of Ambridge for Christmas and why. Please let us have them via SpeakPipe, WhatsApp or email in the usual way. My wish for Christmas is that Ian's joy in his son is not a foreboding of something terrible. The trouble with the arches is when you hear someone so happy, you just worry about what's coming next. But as we come to the end of our episode, we need to say thank you to all our wonderful contributors and to the whole team who look after our social media and support us in so many valuable ways. And also to the whole Dumpty Dum community. You make doing this podcast worthwhile. And we must say thank you to Kim Durham and Sonny Orman for their voices and to our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Royfield Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. We're now off to a rage room so we can smash the patriarchy. So it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.